Nothing beats our stories. Welcome to the campfire. Join me, Ben Zoldan, and my guests as we explore all kinds of topics. This platform exists to inspire human spirit. Period, that's it. Nothing's off limits and you're gonna hear from everybody. Thought leaders and non-thought leaders, CEOs and non-CEOs, authors and non-authors. What you're gonna really hear is conversations that matter, that get to the heart of the human condition and stories that inspire. Today I have my friend, Dr. Mark Galston joining us. Mark is a former FBI hostage negotiation trainer. When I originally heard that, I thought, man, I need to talk to this guy. I also read some of his books. He has a best-selling book that informed a lot of my work early on at Story Leaders, and it's called Just Listen. And Mark's also a former professor of psychiatry at UCLA. So with that, I'm excited to have my friend Mark join us. Um, Mark, it's been a while. How you doing and what's coming up for you? You know, I've been speaking to teenage groups and millennials, uh, but teenage groups about their stress. And I spoke at Hollywood High about stress, anxiety, and and I said to, it was interesting, uh, there was a panel, and when I'm on a panel, I always go last, and I said to the 50 students, I said, um, I said, there's four emotions that you live by. Excitement, boredom, fear, anger. Excitement, boredom, fear, anger. And uh, I'm a suicide specialist, and I developed something called interventional empathy. So when I was practicing I, uh, as a suicide specialist for over 25 years. I, n none of my patients killed themselves and I tried to figure out what the heck I was doing. And what it was is I learned to go into the dark night of the soul with them. And I can, and this is a, a story leader. So I'm going to tell you some stories how I started to do that. But, uh, but this is, but, but people listening in, if you're trying to reach people and you want to connect, write down these eight words. So what I did with these, these uh, uh, students, high school students at Hollywood High, uh, I said, I'm gonna mention eight words and I want you to each think of the worst moment in the last week that you had. And then you're each gonna say the word that is closest to it. And so here are the uh, eight words, anxious, uh, depressed, Afraid, angry, ashamed, alone, lonely, tired. Anxious, depressed, afraid, uh, angry, ashamed, alone, lonely, tired. So I said that to them. And one by one, each of them said the word. Angry, alone, ashamed, afraid. And there was a facilitator behind them. And he came up to me, he said, it was fascinating what happened. He said that uh, when he just saw their backs and he said, when each person was on the spot, they got uptight, you know, because they were on the spot. But when they said the word that they felt when they uh, were at their worst in the week before, he said, they relaxed their shoulders. They leaned in. And then I asked the group, I said, how did that feel? They said, better. And I said, well, that wasn't excitement, boredom, uh, fear, or anger. Uh, what do you mean better? And they said, I felt less alone. You know, I felt like I belong. Uh, and I said, well, didn't you judge anyone, you know, for saying those words? And people said, heck no, no, I, I felt closer to them. And so in terms of the reset, I think this is a chance for us to connect with people because I think what happened is we all, we, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a neuroscientist, just enough to get me into trouble. So most people know that dopamine is connected to pleasure. Years ago, one of the things that would give us dopamine pleasure was oxytocin, which was bonding, connecting to people, feeling their connection to us. But what happened is it got hijacked into people being adrenaline junkies. So now excitement leads to pleasure. Oxytocin is too slow. It's too boring. It takes too much time, yada, yada, yada. But guess what? We have time on our hands now. And we're scared. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, 
about neuroscience is when we're stressed out, which everyone is, our cortisol is way up through the roof. Cortisol is a stress hormone. And what happens is the cortisone triggers something in our emotional brain. And some of you have read a little bit of neuroscience, have heard of something called the amygdala. The amygdala is part of our emotional brain. And what happens is the amygdala then triggers an adrenaline rush. So you get adrenaline rush from fear or excitement. And what that then does is it shunts our blood into our lower brain to survive away from our thinking brain. You know, so that's what a deer in the headlights, which is what many people are feeling. It's because the blood has gone from their ability to think. Well, oxytocin counteracts all of that. And my book, Just Listen, is about feeling felt. And uh, before this, I, I was going to, I told you about a couple stories that are a little bit chilling. Uh, can I share them? Yeah, please. So um, I think, I think what enabled me to get through to suicidal patients is I learned to listen into people's eyes. And when you listen into people's eyes and you don't have an agenda and you listen for some of those eight words, people are screaming at you. But we're too busy with an agenda. So many, many years ago, this is how I learned to listen into people's eyes. And I'm sorry if it's just too close to what we're going through. But I was paged to go see someone uh, up in the ICU uh, at a hospital university I was at. Uh, he was on a ventilator. And they said, come up, you got to write orders because he's pulling at the ventilator, he's pulling at his IVs, he's kicking, he's, uh, he's grunting. Of course, he couldn't talk because the tube was in his throat. And they said, uh, you got to come up and write, I was a psychiatrist, you got to write an order. And I go there. And Ben, I'll try and recreate again with this camera. And I go in the room and his eyes were as big as saucers. And he's staring at me and he's going, ah, ah, ah. And I said, what is it? And he's going, eh, eh, eh. I said, what is it? And they said, he's just psychotic. You know, we have to calm him down. We have his arms and legs tied down. And, and I looked and I said, what is it? And I gave him a little pencil to write something in his hands. And he just scribbled. And I thought, well, maybe they're right. But I could swear he was trying to tell me something. And what I said calmly is, I said, you were pulling at the IVs, you were pulling at the respirator, you were pulling at everything. So we had to put your arms and legs down to stop that. And I'm gonna give you a tranquilizer that'll calm you down. And then when everything is fine, we'll just take you off everything. Mm -hmm. And he's just going, eh, eh, eh. Uh, And so uh, a day and a half later, one of the doctors pages me and say, and said, Mr. Jones, by the way, this is what this happened. This was one of the first, one of the early AIDS patients. It didn't even have a name then. Mm. So it's a, a lot of irony going on here. And so the doctor called me back and, and, and said, uh, Mr. Jones asked us to page you to come and see him. So I didn't know what was going on. And so I, I go up to the ICU. And, and he's seated up, the respirator's out of his throat. And he seats me in a chair with his eyes. He just held on to my eyes like this. And he said, pull up a chair. And he just kept looking at me. And he said this. He said, what I was trying to tell you and tell the other doctors is that a piece of the respirator had broken off and was stuck in my throat. And you do know that I will kill myself before I go through that again. Do you understand me? Do you understand that? And it just, I mean, my eyes got, I can feel it right now. You might even be able to see it in my eyes. It was like, and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And I understand. So that was one of the turning points where I learned to listen into people's eyes. And then uh, I'll just share another story, if that's okay, about how I kind of turned a corner in my suicide intervention work. Now, one of the things I was most fortunate uh, uh, 
that happened to me is that after I did my training at UCLA, great hospital, great training program, uh, I, I didn't work for an institution. I just went outside. And one of my mentors started the whole suicide, the study of suicide, a fellow named Dr. Ed Schneidman. If you look up S-H-N-E-I-D-M-A-N. And he was a psychologist at UCLA. And what would happen is he would be called up to do consultations on suicidal patients. A number of them have made multiple attempts and they needed to be discharged because they weren't acutely suicidal. And the residents got to pick and choose who they would see, you know, as outpatients. And, and the residents really didn't want to see these people because they just seemed suicidal, but they weren't acutely suicidal. So Dr. Schneidman would go up and he would see the person and he would call me. And it was, Ben, it was always the same call. He'd page me and I'd pick up the phone and he'd say it exactly this way. And I, I miss all my mentors. He said, Mark, this is Ed. I'm with this handsome young man. I'm with this lovely young woman. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them see them. And then in order to be discharged, they had to have someone who would accept them. So I was the accepting doctor. <clears throat> and I would see these people, but things changed when I saw one woman who I'll call Nancy. She'd made three or four attempts before I saw her. I'd been to the hospital several times, you know, prior to my seeing her. And I was make, I felt I was making no progress with her. And she would come in. And when she was seated, uh, if you're looking at me, she'd look like this. So she wasn't exactly catatonic, but she wasn't connecting with me. And I didn't think I was making any progress with her. And I was seeing her two, three times a week. And she would talk barely, you know, but monosyllabic, short sentences. And on one Monday, I had just finished moonlighting at a state psychiatric hospital. So, you know, when you're going out into practice, sometimes you moonlight, which means you cover for the doctors at different hospitals. And I was moonlighting at a hospital called Metropolitan State Hospital in uh, Norwalk, California. And sometimes you're up 36 hours. You know, you, you're just up and then, then you crash. Um, so I'd been up about 36 hours. And if you've ever pulled an all-nighter, and I assume some of you listening in uh, have pulled all-nighters in college. Uh, so I had been up like that. And there I saw Nancy on Monday. And she's there. And, you know, I'm overtired. And when you're overtired, you know, physiologically, you're a little bit wigged out. So she's like this. And I'm looking at her. And suddenly all the color in the room turns to black and white. I go, whoa, this is weird. And then I got the chills. And, and the black and white got wavy. And I thought, oh, I'm having a seizure or stroke. Uh, and she's like this. And so I did a neurologic exam on myself, which wasn't rude because she wasn't looking at me. And so I'm going like this and like this, and I'm going like this, and like this, <laughs> tapping my knees. And I thought, uh, I'm all here. And then I had this crazy idea. I said, I don't know what's happened, but I'm looking at the world through her eyes and feeling what she's feeling. It was so clear. And because I was sleep deprived, I blurted this out, which is something if I wasn't sleep deprived, I probably wouldn't have said. And I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad. And I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to do it to get out of the pain. And then I thought, yeah. I just gave her permission. I'm screwed. I didn't just think that I said that. And then she looked at me. It was the first time she looked at me, Ben. She looked at me. And I looked at her and I said, what are you thinking? And I thought she would say, thank you for understanding. I'm overdue. 
And she looked at me and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain, maybe I won't need to. And then the color came back in the room and, uh, and I kept looking in her eyes because I held on to her eyes and she held on to mine. And I said, this is what we're going to do. Because it's the first time she looked at me and I said, I'm not going to give you any treatments or, you know, advice that you're not going to follow because you've been through it all. Uh, would that be okay? And she looked at me with a look and she kind of half smiled like she was intrigued. It was like, well, keep talking. Mm-hmm. And then I looked into her eyes and I said, Nancy, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to find you wherever you are. And I'm going to keep you company there as long as it takes. And then along the way, together, you know, we'll figure out stuff for you to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you to be alone in hell anymore. Would that be okay? Then she smiled again. And so part of what I've been trying to do in the world and my book, Just Listen, is about helping people feel felt. Uh, Is that when people feel felt, their oxytocin goes up, their cortisol goes down, their amygdala settles down, and the blood flow goes up into their thinking part of their brain. Uh, Now what's going to happen is they're going to cry but you're not making them cry. You're letting them cry. Yeah. You know, can I share what's coming up for me as you share, as you share those two stories? Sure. So right before um, the world changed a month ago, I was coming back from the gym. And on this particular day, I decided to Uber to the gym so I could work out at the gym, but then run home. And the gym's about two miles from my house and it's in Hollywood. So, you know, Hollywood can mm-hmm. be either super nice cars driving down the street and then a lot of, you know, less advantaged people and homelessness, right? So you have all of these things colliding. So I work out, I, I go out of the gym, I'm gonna run home for two miles and I turn the first corner um, and there's this guy in the middle of the street like waving something down. And I kind of, I walked up to him and what he's doing is there is a pigeon that was injured and it's in the middle of the street and he has like a, like a piece of paper. He's kind of trying to get it out of the street. And I go up to him and as I see the pigeon, the pigeon was shot, looked like a, uh, like a BB gun. I had like, um, like you could see it on this side of the temple on this side. And, and, and this thing was shaking, but couldn't move. And this guy is waving off cars now I get involved. I start waving off cars because we don't want this, you know, but there was nothing like he was kind of freaked out. I start to look at it's a pigeon and I st- and I'm not like the world's biggest animal guy. I'm just like anybody else, but I'm looking at this thing. It was so scary, Mark. And I started to get so much anxiety and I call 911. They wouldn't help. I call veterinarian services. Nobody will help because they won't take a wild pigeon into you know, if you take it to a vet, animal services, nobody would help. So I'm there for like 10, 15 minutes and I'm freaking out and I'm feeling like, like it's a pigeon, Mark, and I'm feeling this thing and I'm looking at a pigeon and I don't think this is too woo-woo. And all of a sudden after like 15 minutes, I'm like, yo, dude, I don't know if I could, I don't know what we can do here. Maybe if a car comes by, maybe it needs to, you know, maybe it'll euthanize this. This guy's not going to make it. So after like 15 minutes, I felt, so I, one of those eight words you used earlier, I felt so ashamed because I had to leave the scene. But here's why I felt ashamed. Because I remember the feeling of needing to look away. I had to, I had to continue my run and look away. And the wildest thing happens. I was like, I don't want to see it anymore. I just want to put it away in its parking lot and I'm going to go and I'm going to run. So I start running and I'm like wanting to cry because I was there with this, this pigeon. And I turn a corner and there was a camp of like homeless people. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna look away, I'm gonna look away. I'm gonna look away, I'm gonna look away. And I feel like when I got home, I was like, I, I, I felt so much anger towards the world. Like nobody's helping, who's helping? And nobody's helping the, the pigeon and nobody was helping these homeless people. But then I stopped, I was like, well, who am I? I looked away. 
it's so easy to look the other way. And that was my way. And when I really thought about it, it was my way, I know for me, of like protecting myself. Because I didn't want to feel that pain. And if it was somebody on the street, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And if it was a pigeon, I couldn't take it. So I looked away and I feel like I'm doing the exact, I did the exact opposite of looking at somebody in the eyes. And to me, it was a, this, this like, and just the other day, I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody who's really close to me. And we're talking about something that turned into a political conversation, somewhat controversial, right? Um, bring up a topic and you have like two different sides of this political conversation. And she had said to me, well, maybe there should be something. And it sounded like, you know, regulations around this hot topic, right? The minute I heard that, I was like, I had some snarky response. I was like, well, don't bring that up around any of my people. And she's like, you can't even let me get a word out. You know, what I was going to say is this, and, 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 and she closed up kind of like this. And, and she's like, you're a horrible listener. You won't even listen to me. I was like, okay, okay, well, you, and I'm sort of defending myself, defending myself after five minutes. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm looking the other way. And it's just like, what I would have wanted to do if I could do a, a redo is like, like, look at what does that mean to you? Like, look at that person in their eyes. And it's just so easy to look the other way. You know, I, I want to share a story because we're all work in progresses. And this is how seductive adrenaline is. So years ago, I was an advisor in the OJ Simpson trial. And um, uh, I advised the prosecution and uh, don't really bring it up because they lost. But, uh, you know, and, and, and I never went out the front door because to me it was, you know, it was a double homicide. But during the civil trial, which was held in uh, Santa Monica, I would occasionally be brought in because, uh, you know, people knew that I was somehow involved and, and they had, they don't have it anymore. I think it was a channel called Court TV. Mm -hmm. And I remember you know, there was some day and I was there and I just nailed the interview. Oh, I was so good. I was so proud of myself. So I walk out of the uh, uh, Santa Monica uh, courthouse area and I walk past a homeless person. I didn't even see him. And I walk past him and he looks at me and he said, hey, mister. And I'm there, you know, just, you know, because the adrenaline is so addictive. He said, hey, mister. I look at him and he looks me straight in the eye. And he said, I wasn't always this way. I used to be a person. Uh. And, you know, it, I was, you know, I still had too much adrenaline going. I shrugged my shoulders and I walked about a quarter of a mile, you know, got into the Santa Monica store area. And I looked into an abandoned store. And so I looked into the dark uh, window and I saw my own reflection. And I looked at myself and I said, you weren't always this way. You used to be a person. Mm -hmm. So I walked back to him and you may not know it if you're listening, homeless people have names. They have names, they have first names, last names. And I went back to him and, uh, and I said, uh, hi, my name's Mark, what's your name? John. John, and I said, uh, you're still a person. I gave him 20 bucks. And I said, uh, I'm sorry and I hope this helps. So I guess, you know, um, we can all get caught up in that because, you know, adrenaline makes you feel powerful. Uh, it's, it's kind of the great imposter. Well, it almost feels like what we've been trained to do. And I know just cause I, I grew up in, you know, in sales and the way to reach people is to convince or persuade or to talk and to sell something. It's as if like, look, look what I got over here. Or I got, I got Rolex watches. I got, you know, cause we solutionize people and solutionize people of what people need to hear. Um, 
but it's almost as if we got it backwards. I think one of, in your book, it, you, you say, um, I think the chapter, the first chapter, the header is the secret to reaching everybody. And it ain't talking. Well, well it, it, you're right. And I want to share something. And, uh, uh, and I'm humbled by, I mean, the book has been success. It became the top book on listening in the world. It's in 25 languages. And, and I speak around the world. And in October, I spoke in Moscow to about a thousand Russians, managers, CEOs with a, with a Nobel Prize winner named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And, I, uh, and you can actually, if you go to my website, markgoulston.com, uh, I'm, I'm blogging up a storm. You know, I go to bed with the troubles of the world and I wake up and every now and then I come up trying to solve things every day. Um, and what I introduce there, and I'm going to be introducing it more, is a different way to communicate, to change everything you know about communication. And I'm going to demonstrate it right now, right here with you and the people who, uh, who are actually... Uh, participants. What I said to the Russians, and I'll say this to all of you, if I focus on what you're listening to, if you're listening to me, I will talk to you and give you bullet points. You're listening to me with your head, with your mind, and I'll give you bullet points. And you'll follow some of them, and some of them might work, and some of them might not work. And I haven't written a book on this, by the way. Uh, I may. Uh, and you'll give me your mind. And if I'm entertaining and engaging, you know, you'll give me your mind for the, you know, uh, for the duration of my presentation. Mm -hmm. so, if I, so that's focusing on what you're listening to. But if I focus on what you're listening for, and I deliver that without any agenda, without anything to sell, if I focus on what you're listening for, you'll give me everything. What I said to the Russians, uh, and that's what the video clip is about, is I said, let me see if I get what you're listening for. And these were all managers and CEOs. And I said, you're measured by results. Is that true? I mean, good results, you get a promotion, bad results, you, you know, get a pay cut. Is that true? And they go, da. And then I said, and what you're listening for is a way to get better results that maybe is less stressful because the way you're getting results now sort of works, but you're drinking too much, you're eating too much, your people are doing the same. It's not a good thing. And you're listening for a way to get better results in a different way that's less stressful. Is that true too? And they go, duh. And I said, and here's the big thing you're listening for. You're listening for me to give you something that you can use right now, immediately out of the gate. You don't have to buy a book. There's not a book on this yet. Uh, you don't have to take a course. There's not a course on this yet. What you're looking for is something that is immediately doable by you. And you don't have to be a psychologist type, yeah. but you can use it right now and get better results that's less stressful. And if I can pull that off, will this have been worth a day of your time? And you paid a pretty good chunk of rubles. <laughs> and they went, oh, duh. So uh, I think when you can let go of your agenda, uh, and there's something in my book, just listen, that I call, here's how you want to be a pal to people. And pal stands for purposeful, agendaless listening purposeful, agendaless listening, which means you let go of your personal agenda, which is to sell, to maneuver. And your purpose instead is to get people to open up with what's really on their mind, what they're really worried about, and then you be of service to them. In fact, here's the advice I'm giving everyone. And if you're listening, this, uh, this uh, I think this could help you through this period. We always guard our calendars. You know, I had this appointment time with you. I wasn't going to blow it off. So, you know, we have something in our calendar. And what I'm suggesting to people is 
First of all, imagine it's a year from now and we've gotten through this and you're looking at back at the people you're most grateful to and what they did. So you're looking back and who are you most grateful to and what, what did they do? And so what you're going to do every morning is you're going to take a half an hour in your calendar, you're going to put it in there and you're going to reach out to people and do to them what they'll be grateful to you for a year from now. And really what that is, is reaching out to people. A lot of people are already doing it and saying, you know, I haven't spoken to you in ages and I see that you're in New York. I see that you're such and such. Are you okay? Yeah. We're fine. You know, you're not hitting on them. And also something I would say, but I, I'm a stickler for this. Uh, we'll let the sirens go by. What does that give? That gives me flashbacks. You have no idea. Um, Imagine. Oh boy, it just it just took me over. Uh, uh, but something that I'm telling people, maybe I'm wrong. This is a time to give without selling something. And when I when I get these emails, oh, you know, uh, here's something, and we'll give you a discount on our course. Yeah. And if you and if you do it now, you know, uh, we'll have a free session for free, and then yadi. Don't sell now. It contaminates your goodwill. Yeah. yeah. And some people, as you say, Ben, the people who are very transactional, well, I'm giving them a great deal. This is not a time for a great deal. I think what, what I tend to see a lot is how can we sell differently? So it's under the guise of the same old way. But something that just came up for me, and I want to just ask you a quick question, then use the last 25 minutes to open it up to the group. So guys, if you have like a question, just raise your hand on the chat and then and or a story you can share. And then Tyler will enable you so you could jump on, uh, just keep your video enabled. So just type in your either your question or just raise your hand in the chat and you could jump into the conversation, but something that I had happened a, a week ago, totally controversial, and for me, I haven't made, been able to make sense of it, but here you go, okay? There's a side of the news and a side of the political spectrum right now with the leadership in the world that I'm having a really, really hard time with, and I don't know if I'm alone in that. That's the setup. Here's what happened. I'm talking to a friend of mine who runs one of the world's largest cancer research organizations, Stand Up to Cancer might've heard of them. And we were talking a few days ago and she said, she said, Ben, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist right now. I'm like, why? Because of, uh, and she was speaking of uh, the president and, uh, and she says, there's something good that happened. I'm like, what? And she said, well, you know, he's, he's talking about vaccinations right now. And, and my response was like, no, duh. Right. That's what we're all you know praying for right now. She said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, he was the world's biggest anti-vaxxer. He was stopping me as a cancer researcher for doing a lot of things we needed to do. I'm like, okay, what's the big deal? And she said, you're not getting it. I'm like, what? And she goes, here's the thing. This is about collaboration. And in order to collaborate with people, you have to have compassion for people. And I think what she was saying was, and I have not been able to make sense of this, Mark, but I think maybe there's like something here for us in terms of this new humanity we might be able to get to. I think she was saying, I have compassion for you know who. I can almost find a silver lining, something, something I can work with that person with now. I can listen differently, right? So now I can, I can get in there and work with that person. And I feel like it's so hard because we're in this camp or this camp and I don't, I'm no moral authority because I, I know I'm not like this. And I'd certainly like to get to that way. It's not to agree with that other side, but what it would be like to say, I'm going to find something there that I, I, I can have compassion for that person and go, that's something I can work with over there. Like, I'm wondering if, if that's a part of listening and if we go work towards that. Well, it's interesting you talk about this. So if people go to my site, markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com, I'm blogging a lot on you know, how to deal with your kids, but I'm also blogging on leadership. And what I talked about is, is uh, 
prior to this happening, everybody was so pedal to the metal. It didn't matter whether you trusted or respected people. That would be nice. But the way business as usual was running was, I just want to have confidence that what you're telling me is the truth, that you can do what you say you can do. And if you can't, I'll just sue you. That's business as usual. But what's happened is now that we're all scared, it's important that we both trust and respect them. So when I look at the combination of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burke, and Governor Cuomo, and you mush them all together, uh, and, and trust is I trust them to not hurt me. I trust them to not take advantage of this, uh, to, do, uh, uh, to take advantage of me. And I respect people who stand up with and for the truth to power. They just stand up for it. And so you listen to Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks. Now, granted, they're up there with the president and their assessment of him is, look, uh, uh, people might think we're kowtowing a little bit to him, but the point is uh, the world needs us. And if we tick him off and he says he gets rid of us, uh, we're gonna be hurting the world. Because there's a lot of people that will say, you know, why don't you stand up more? Well, because we're in that circle and he's kind of listening to us. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's, there's a little bit of wiggle room. And uh, Governor Cuomo is doing, you know, I mean, he's just, uh, in fact, I put out a tweet and the tweet was hashtag postpone election elect Cuomo. Yeah, right. Because right. you know, we need leadership that we can trust, we have confidence in, and we respect. And, and maybe, uh, maybe that's the time has come for that. Yeah. I don't know what people's politics are, but for several years now, I've been a huge fan of Angela Merkel from Germany. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there's things that people would disagree with but I trust her, I have confidence in her, and I respect her. And, uh, and I don't think I'm alone. I think in polls of world leaders, there's not even a close second. Uh, and it's not about her politics, it's that I think I can trust her to not hurt me, take advantage of me. I have confidence that you know, she has a track record of good, pretty good judgment calls and bringing good people together. And I respect her. I mean, she'll just, she'll stand up for what she thinks is the right thing to do, even if it was letting in immigrants, which uh, she took a hit for. Yeah. And as you're talking about that, for the people that I disdain or it just drives me nuts why I cannot listen, I wonder if there's, a, there's some wisdom in, could I even look at that person in their eyes and find a way to empathize, not to agree with them, but if what you're saying is, that the woman that was suicidal and you looked into her eyes and felt what she felt, she felt heard and seen by you. And she was able to make sense and open up a new door in her own life on her own. Could we help people come, come to our side or to a new way just by getting them? Um, and um, I don't know, that's just something I'm processing now. Cause I was like you, I'm not a Trump fan, but this is how I would try to listen into him. And, I, and, and by like, the way, can I just say this? Yeah. It's not about listening to him. I think it's a bigger thing that how we'd listen to in the most, you know, benign situations when we're at work and somebody has this report due and we have this report due, it can show up in the smallest, right? And then after you share, there's two people that want to share too or ask a question. One of them is Tammy. So let's get Tammy enabled in one second. Um, and then Nate has something to add, but yeah, uh, let's, go, let's go to that. Yeah. In the interest of time, let, let's hear from people and uh, see if we can be of some help. Um, cool. So Tammy, enable your, sounds like you have a question, enable your video. Um, Hi, you Tammy. Hey, Mark. So great to meet you. Um, I've been working with Ben for a number of years, so your names come up a lot and I'm always trying to follow the breadcrumbs, but so, you know, the work that you're doing is, you know, really, uh, hits home for me having um, a 16-year-old son who's home now that on um, November 4th of 2018 attempted to take his life 
and um, being in a home where uh, there's a lot of beauty, as Ben can tell you, a lot of happiness and a lot of joy, uh, you know, a very all-in family, um, but we didn't have any experience with depression and anxiety, and uh, these things went unrecognized because in my experience, when you're really sad, it's cause and effect. Something happened to you, so now you feel this way. And so I was, you know, running around trying to figure out who is hurting my child, what happened, and, you know, was it the lacrosse coach, you know, was it the Boy Scout leader, like, there had to be a cause and effect, and given, had no experience with this, and being, you know, someone that is, you know, very open, and always, like, sharing, and going first, and willing to, you know, sit in that discomfort, have to tell you, this is, as you know, it's really hard, you know, everybody's in the same house right now, not getting a lot of their usual outlets, where he really thrives, working, and working out, and these things have been removed or limited. I think about you because we need tools more than ever. And the reality is, you know, my house is a happy house. And I, um, I get really sad thinking about the kids that don't have that. And now they've lost the outlets, but, you know, we need help. And um, I guess my question to you is, even with the most beautiful intentions, it's really hard to um, to make sure you're not missing something. And uh, these, you know, I have a 19 year old as well, who's home from her freshman year of college, who's this big athlete. And, you know, she she's obviously not doing that right now. And it's that huge fear of like, what are we not tapping into? And what more can we do? So thank you, thank you for uh, reaching out, Tammy. And uh, um, I want I want to use this opportunity to give people a taste of focusing on what you're listening for. See, because if I focus on what you're listening to, and you're saying give a you know give me help here's some bullets you can try you might write them down and you'll try them they might work and they might not but tell me if i'm getting it right what you're listening for and i can see it in your eyes is what you're saying is ben mark i'm scared i'm scared we almost lost them i don't understand it uh, i don't even want to imagine losing him i can't even go there and i don't know what to do I don't want to make it worse. I don't know how to make it better. Welcome to my happy place. <laughs> Is any of that true, Tammy? It's all like so true. <laughs> yeah. And so, so here's a suggestion for you. Uh, and you, people listening in, you might want to adapt it. But I've suggested families do this practice if they're at home every day. From 4 to 4.15, each person shares the worst part of the day for them, the worst thing that happened to them. And when people are sharing, here's something that I coach people on listening. Listen for uh, emotionally charged words. Oh, this was so awful, or I hated such and such. Let them share it. And then, and then you say, say more about hating it. Say more about the awful. So instead of rushing in to make it better, you want to drain the abscess. So from 4 to 4.15, everybody shares the worst part of the day for them. Uh, and then from 4.15 to 4.30, it's a free-for-all, and all expletives are welcome. Everybody gets to say, I hate the effing coronavirus. I hate this delivery food. You know, I'm washing my hands. They're, they're, ah, I look at my, whatever it is. And everyone gets to vent from 4.15 to 4.30. So the key is, what's the worst thing? And you don't give a solution. 
but you allow people to vent because, uh, yeah, and I appreciate people saying, let's tune into our gratitude. But I can tell you, Tam, is having been a suicide specialist, um, it feels to people who are really down like you're putting lipstick on a pain and, you're, and you can't deal with it. And even though you have good intentions, sometimes it makes them feel more alone and they say to themselves, uh, I knew I couldn't open up to you. But you might try that. And everybody says, well, the worst thing, and, and nobody judges anything, well, that you, you know, well, well, the, well, the worst thing is, uh, you know, my toenail broke, whatever it is. You know, uh, okay. and, but then allow the uh, 415 to 430 vent thing. I've been, I've been getting selfies from this, and they're, I hate to say it, they're hilarious. <laughs> and they, I don't know, to hear a, a, a cute little five-year-old say, I hate the fucking coronavirus. I mean, it was just charming. So anyway, that, that's something you might try. And thank you. I, I hope some of that helps, Tammy. Yeah, thank you. It does. Yeah, it almost feels like the easy answer is, how you doing? Good. And, it, and there's just that question nowadays. Like, I find myself asking that. Um, drain the absence. That's absence. That's, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tammy. Um, Nate, you're on. Hey, Nate. Hey, buddy. Hey, guys. How are you, Mark? Good uh Good to hear you. Good to listen to your uh, your perspective. It, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I just wanted to echo a few really profound points that you said. I first wanted to kind of comment on as you were telling that story about the guy in ICU. I actually could see your eyes uh, visibly reflecting on that, and um, that you know is is really where the profoundness comes in on the listening side. I, I want to kind of uh, beat up us men a little bit for those that are on the call. Um, one of our tendencies as men is to uh, always solve. We are ready to fix things. It's oftentimes why you come home and your wife wants to tell you how her day was. You're like, okay, what can I do? Let me get something. Let me, let me figure something out. And um, I think the listening aspect is probably one of the most challenging aspects of our journeys uh, as humans in general, because uh, I think we have a genuinely selfish agenda oftentimes. And so the opportunity to step back, to reflect, to internalize, you know, even Ben, as you shared the story of kind of the looking away, looking away is also another opportunity of not listening because when you make that eye contact and I'm going to take the listen into people's eyes as a, as a, as a sentiment that I will continue to, kind of mentally adopt as, as a part of how we engage. But um, I have found that when you apply genuine listening, that's what I usually call it, but you called it in, you know, your interventional empathy, genuine empathy, it can't be replaced. And the one thing that I think uh, I'm going to continue to practice, and you affirmed a few things that I think are really key, is us being able to really ask ourselves is what we're doing genuinely about the other person. Because oftentimes I think we still have a hidden agenda in the background and it starts to rear its head as we engage. And I think when we are able to have a genuine empathy, looking at that other person, as I saw in your eyes when you spoke about that story, you can't really replace that. You could be a really good actor I don't know, but um, otherwise I would have to give you the, the benefit of the doubt that that was some really genuine empathy. So well, here's the thing. I've been doing a lot of calls lately, uh, uh, you know, to groups, entrepreneur groups, because everybody's freaking out. And, and, and I'm trying to remember, I, I always want to give credit for tips that I come up with that I didn't come up with. And I'm trying to remember who taught me this and I can't remember, but what this person used to do and if you're running a company because uh, a lot of people will say we need to get business done you know i don't want to be rude when someone's crying and so the tip is uh with your teams and you do a check-in you have an awareness and a take action part of the conversation and you limit it to a certain time and you say you know for the next 20 minutes we're going to have an awareness thing 
So no solutions. People are just going to share. We're, 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 we're a team. We're uh, working together virtually. Uh, but people can share, you know, what's the worst thing you're going through? And, and initially, it'll feel awful, but we don't, we don't jump in with solutions, you know, unless someone says, hey, can anyone have an idea, but no solutions. And so that's all about awareness. And then at a certain time, you say, now nah, we're going to switch to taking action conversations. And the taking action is, you know, what I as the, uh, the founder or the CEO, what I want to hear is, uh, you know, I want to hear from you, what's the problem? Uh, what, uh, what do you think the best options are? What are the options? What do you think are the best options from what you've told us? And how can I support you? So what you really want to do is you want to support people in being able to take care of their problems instead of making them your problems and then you don't know what to do. But I think if you put a dividing line and then you could say, look, we may leave some people hanging, but we're going to designate someone who's really good at listening and hearing people through. And, and if you're a leader and you're not good at it, like you said, Nate, a lot of us guys, we're not good at hearing people through. But if you find there are these special people who we need, sometimes it's your HR person, sometimes it's someone else in another department uh, who's just good at listening, uh, but, but make time for awareness and make time for taking action. Yeah. You know, as you guys are talking about that, something just came up with me. May I? Yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, I'm in the storytelling business and it's something that's new to me. I, I think I do this because probably I'm not that good at it. And so that's, I'm I feel like I'm obligated to do this work. I always told people that. And, and the thing that always made that, that I learned early on doing this was that the heart of storytelling is vulnerability and being vulnerable. And that's, that's, and you talk about us guys, I mean, at least for me, culturally, this is, this stuff is really, really hard for me. It's like, I have all this armor around me that I've learned to build up that prevents like it shows up every single day. I feel like I'm an addict and I'm trying, and I always go back to the crack house. Like vulnerability ain't natural to me. So I fight it and it's storytelling's hard. But I think what, I'm, what I've learned over time actually is listening's even more vulnerable. And, and here's, here's a quick one. I, um, a, a guy I worked with who became a good friend, his daughter got sick and he had to take some time off. And, um, and it, before he took some PTO, um, we got on the phone to do like just some like mapping out the project plan and get on the phone with him. I knew his daughter was sick and he was going through something I could never, ever imagine. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? That's how I started the conversation off of that stupid question. I didn't, I didn't know how else to start the conversation. So I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? And I remember he goes kind of like this crackly voice with a pause. He was like, uh, I'm good. I'm all right, man. And then he was like quiet and like in that moment. Even those words said, I'm all right. There's a difference between like, I'm all right versus I'm all right. He wasn't, you know, he, his not everything looking in his eyes was not okay. And in that moment, it was almost like time stood still. And I had like a three, five seconds. I don't know how long it was to either kind of go there. Like you said, like, Hey, what's going on? Like, tell me what. And I chickened out. I didn't go there. I didn't ask that next question. Hey man, it didn't, doesn't sound like, you know, how you doing? So, and so, he was like, what's so, that? So Ben, um, cut yourself a little slack right now. It's not that you lack the will. You lack the way that's doable by you. you well, know, if, if you had yeah. steps that you could follow, if you had an algorithm, if I do this, if I do this, I do this, uh, uh, you would, uh, and, and do we have time? I can give you a quick algorithm or we have to, uh, uh, you have to go. No, no, let's do that. We, we have a couple minutes. So I was going to ask you to close um, with just any word you want since we have a few more minutes. So why don't we do this? Why don't we end with that? Because I feel like my situation was what we all do every day. We just, it's, it's my version of looking the other way. Or we don't go to that vulnerable listening. So give us, give us some, some tools. So let's, and let's end. Yes, please. Okay. So, um, uh, I learned this from a mentor of mine named Warren Bennis, big leadership guy. Uh, you guys are too young to know who he is, but he, he was one of the pioneers in the field of leadership. And he gave me this phrase from uh, a playwright named Saul Bellow. And he said, be a first class noticer. 
because when you notice, it's different than looking, watching, and seeing. When you notice, you're attached to it. Like I'm noticing this cam camera is looking at me, and if I look right into it, I can't see your eyes. Uh, and so be a first-class noticer, be curious about what you're noticing, and then ask. And you can say to the other person, I couldn't help but notice. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. I couldn't help but notice that your voice cracked. And, mm. then, and then you say, what's that about? And then go deeper. So be a first-class noticer, be curious, ask. I couldn't help but notice that you know, you said you were doing okay and, and it sounds like you're not. What's that about? Let them talk a little bit. Instead of jumping in from your own lack of skills or anxiety, pick the most emotionally charged word. And uh, uh, if they say it's really tough with my daughter or something, say, because they say more about tough with your daughter. Mm -hmm. And what'll happen is initially you'll get freaked out. But if you keep watching them and noticing them, you're actually going to see them calm down. You're actually going to feel them getting it off. They're getting stuff off their chest onto you, but it's not a dump, Ben. It's a share. It's an oxytocin sandwich. <laughs> and then, and then you let them finish and you can say, that sounds so rough. That sounds so rough. And I'm so sorry. But you have to practice it so that that's genuine. That sounds really rough, and I'm so sorry, which is different than the how are you doing? Fine. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Next. But if you practice it, I am telling you, Ben, it's going to bring out a part of you that's going to really make you feel proud of yourself in the places you now feel ashamed. Those words I noticed, dot, dot, dot. You know, we always talk about that, you know, the community of people on this, you know, watching and listening right now, you know, are, are kind of my story leaders community. And, you know, we always talk about following clues and following breadcrumbs from people um, and the how to do it sometimes gets really clunky. So I, I'm sure for everybody like me right now, just those words are new to me. And I've read all your stuff and those are, those are new words. Um, so thank you for that. Hey, well. um, yeah. Um, and since we're at the top of the hour here, do you have anything in closing that you would want to share? Um, yeah, uh, please go. Uh, uh, I'm blogging up a storm. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not Abraham Lincoln, but there's an anecdote where Abraham Lincoln was going from one town to the next and he passed a horse stuck in a ditch. And he goes a half a mile and he turns around, he goes back to the horse and he asks people, the people around him asked him, why'd you go back? He said, I couldn't get the pain of the horse out of my head. That's kind of who I am in the universe. Uh, and I go to bed, I don't sleep that well, but in the morning, I start to try to make sense of the world in ways that people say, you know, I, I could use that. So if you go to markgoulston.com, uh, almost every day, I'm just pouring out things that I hope I hope if you found some of what I said practical, that's what I try to put into those things. And uh, I hope you'll check that out. And, and I'll tell you, I'll end with one of the most eloquent quotes I've ever heard. It was from a, a patient of mine years ago who was very close to her larger than life dad, someone we all knew and loved. I can't say who it was. And when he died, she just didn't think she could handle it. And then one day she came in and she smiled and she said, I think I'm a better. And I said, what happened? She said, what it comes down to is living with life, never being the same again. That doesn't mean life is over. After 9-11, we lived with life never being the same again. If you've had cancer, you've lived with life never being the same again. And we will get there. Uh, life will never be the same again, but it doesn't mean it's over. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's all gonna be awful. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a friend the other day who said, um, I, I made a comment to something like, um, hey, when this is all over, we're going to go back to the way, you know, dot, dot, dot. And she goes, almost like a reprimand. She was like, Ben, I was talking to a friend oh, you know, a while ago when I was pregnant. And I found myself when I was pregnant, always saying, I can't wait till I could go back to my body, the way I was, my emotion. And, and she was telling me how she told that to one of her good, good friends who was pregnant before her. And it was as if 
her friend said to her, I can expect anybody who's already been through pregnancy, you'll never want to go back to the way things were. Like your life is going to be so magical being a parent. We know that now it's an expected answer now, but I almost wonder if like, why would we ever want to go back to the way things were with, you know, um, and maybe this is going to give birth, even though it's such immense suffering um, to something that's so much better, a, a humanity, a renaissance in sort of this human connection that we haven't experienced. But I, you know, speaking of that, Mark, I can say this before I even met you, I, I, I got your book. It's still, you know, I remind myself all these lessons and um, I reached out to you a few times just out of the blue and you've always been a guy who's like, yeah, how can I help? never once asked for you know anything in return and i think that's the kind of service that certainly inspired me and i know your message is going to inspire this community um so thank you from from my heart well i accept it and the good news ben is you got a heart <laughs> it's racing it's racing don't question it you got a heart okay okay right. well, well thanks 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 for being here and um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks everybody. Thank you everybody for tuning in.